Good morning. We have been blessed already. Welcome to each one of you here. Uh, thank you uh, for leading the opening. Um, welcome to each one here at the Winkleberg Tyler Mennonite Church, as well as those that will be listening or watching later. For our call to worship, please turn with me to Philippians 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Please join me as, as we pray. Dear loving and powerful God, we thank you that we have the privilege of coming to you at any time because of your grace and love. Please accept our worship in song as a church congregation and also the Winkler Male Choir. Lord, I pray that you would meet the needs of Kevin Hildebrandt as he's not able to make it because of uh, not being able to, because of the roads. Lord, we pray that you would just be with each one of us, lead and meet the needs of each one here. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's a grand day. Wow, we've got the organ playing. We've got a choir here. That's just so (laughs) exciting, isn't it? Let's sing together. Why don't you take your hymn books. Let's stand together and sing number 562. 562. Christ has for sin atonement made.
back just a few pages to number 558. 558. I hope the spells do nothing less. Go ahead.
through the life in the church, but before we do, just for information, Kevin Hildebrandt 
called just before the service and after trying three different roads was not able to make it, so uh, some things are not in our plans. Let's take a brief look at life in the church. Um, There's going to be, I believe there's Sunday school for uh, men, women, and special Sunday school after the service. Our missionaries of the week are K and K. And on page two in the bulletin, I think those are important announcements because we're dealing with some short time here. Um, In the life in the church, as a congregation, we are seeking the Lord's direction for the future of our church. We encourage you to take time to pray. You are invited to set aside some time to come to the church during the coming weeks, to spend some time alone in prayer in the sanctuary. The sanctuary will be open for you to come between 8 and 5, Monday to Friday. And just coming up here, planning for the future. Uh, At our special membership meeting on March 7th, information gleaned from the leading uh, with a vision seminar was shared. An opportunity was given for discussion and questions. Whether you were in attendance or not, you may have additional questions, comments, which you would like to share regarding the future direction of the Winkleberg Teller Mennonite Church. There's a box in the foyer where you can submit your questions and comments. Uh, they will be taken into consideration together with the discussion at uh, tomorrow's, Monday, April 25th, will be a special membership meeting. And also take a note of, in the coming days and weeks, families from the Ukraine are expected to arrive in Winkler. We are accepting donations of food, clothing, bedding, furniture, etc., non-perishable food. Items can be put in the brown trunk in the foyer, and clothing and bedding can be dropped off at the church office. Uh, For furniture appliances, call the church uh, office. And there's persons with health needs and expression of sympathy. Um, Take a note that this Thursday is also the Pembina Valley Bible Camps uh, banquet. And for those who we ask that we spend some time in prayer and those who are able to, please rise with me as we, as we pray. Dear God of love and grace, we continue to praise you for who you are, all-powerful and loving. We pray that you continue to lead K&K and their family and to meet their needs. Lord, lead us as a church so that we would seek and follow your will and direction. Help us to understand how you want us to help the people who are coming here from the Ukraine. We pray that you would meet the needs, the health needs of Dorothy Giesbrecht, Marge Thiessen, and each other individual that's in need. And Lord, be the comforter to those dealing with the loss of Maggie Wheeler, or the loss of any other loved one. We ask you to lead Clara 
Laurie and Alyssa and the Winkler male choir as they continue to uh, share of who you are. Lord, be with Susan Clausen as she reads your word to, to us and also direct Victor Engbrecht as he presents your message to us. We thank you and ask for your leading in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 12. The heading of this section is The Suffering and Glory of the Servant. So it's Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 12. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet he, we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced by our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers was silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living." For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand." After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Thus reading the reading of God's word. Ernie is getting me a stool <laughs> because I'm a little bit lightheaded this morning. So it's just an insurance policy. <laughs> and the reason is I'm, I, it takes me back to when I started singing. Taller? No, there's a, there's a taller one. Okay. <laughs> Good. Um, uh, when I started singing, um, I just remember a lot of times after a two or three hour rehearsal feeling a little lightheaded because you're moving a lot of oxygen in and out of your body and just try breathing in and out deeply uh, about 25 times, you'll probably fall over. Uh, that's what we've been doing and we haven't done it for two years. So, so not only that, my, my whole back is sore just from holding a few sheets of paper in front of me. So... <laughs> We're feeling a little out of sorts up here this morning. And I better bring my sermon. It's here somewhere. Well, we have just come through our annual remembrance and celebration of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And when we think about these events... Events. there are two prominent images that come to mind. We understand Jesus to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And we also understand him to be the Savior of the world who delivers people from their sin. These are two nearly opposite portrayals of Jesus, yet we 
easily refer to him as one or the other without thinking too much about it. Even though both the Lamb and the Savior, in the end, deliver man from sin, one is from a position of complete powerlessness and the other from a position of ultimate power. Lamb as a symbol represents gentleness and powerlessness and a vulnerability that is totally dependent on another. Savior, on the other hand, represents deliverance, victory, triumph, one with power and authority and the strength to save. The Old Testament draws several pictures that give us understanding of the coming Christ who is both Lamb and Savior and who operates both from a position of weakness and a position of strength. So let's deal with uh, Savior first for just a moment. In the Old Testament, God is Savior. He is understood as the Savior of the children of Israel. He is their Deliverer. In Webster's 1913 Dictionary, the definition of the word Savior is this, one who saves, preserves, or delivers from destruction or danger. That is how Israel experienced God's salvation. And for them, it was a physical, visible salvation. The children of Israel were saved from their enslavement to the Egyptians when they left Egypt. They were spared most of the ten plagues that God brought upon them. And they were saved later on from starvation and dehydration in the desert. And they were rescued from many enemies. The concept of Savior is not unfamiliar to the nation of Israel. So when Jesus is called Savior, it has meaning that the Israelites would have understood. Jesus clearly identified himself as Savior, connecting himself to the experience of Israel in the desert when the Lord sent venomous snakes among them because of their grumbling. You can look that up in Numbers chapter 21. And if you recall, they were grumbling. One of the lines they used is, they were tired of this worthless food. Well, <laughs> God sent the venomous snakes, and people were bit, and they started dying, and they cried out to Moses, save us. And so Moses cried out to God, and God said, make a, make a serpent and put it on a pole, and if anyone looks at it, they'll be saved. And so, so that is what Jesus is referring to, when he spoke to Nicodemus, a Pharisee who came to, it, to him at night. In John 3.14, Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. But notice now that with that statement, the word Savior takes on new meaning. Where God's Old Testament salvation was physical, delivering Israel from visible enemies, this New Testament salvation through Christ is spiritual and saves the soul from eternal destruction. So how does Jesus show himself to be Savior? We know that God intended all along that mankind would be saved through Jesus Christ. 1 John 4.14 says, The Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. How does Jesus fulfill the expectations of being a Savior when he doesn't show his might, doesn't display his power, 
or exert his God-given authority to save Israel from the visible oppression of Rome. Now, this isn't to say that he didn't demonstrate those things. He did in his miracles. But when it came to saving Israel, that physical, visible salvation from, uh, from the visible enemy, Rome, <clears throat> he didn't lift a finger. And if I think if we want our answer to that, we will find it when we explore Jesus as lamb. So let's turn to that. <clears throat> In looking at the symbol of lamb in the Old Testament, I would uh, like to pick up three themes. One is, uh, in these examples, one is a ram, one is a goat, and one is a lamb. Each one of these gives us a different picture of Jesus as lamb, and they are these. The substitutionary sacrifice, the scapegoat, and the Passover lamb. And each of these gives us a picture of Jesus as lamb, yet it highlights a different aspect of his work on the cross. So the first one, the substitutionary sacrifice. Travel back with me, if you will, to about the year 2050 BC, and that is where we find Abraham and his son Isaac. And this is where God puts Abraham to the test. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Genesis chapter 22. I'll read the first 14 verses. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. On one of the mountains I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship And come back again to you. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. 
And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. God provided a substitute for the offering he required. In the same way, God provided a substitute for us. We do not have to pay the sin debt with our own blood. So let's take a look at this analogy and see where it applies and where it falls short. When I am in Abraham's shoes and I am the one, the one required to make a sacrifice, God steps in and provides the sacrificial lamb. Just like the ram was provided in place of Isaac, Jesus has been provided as a substitution for us. We are at peace with God because the demands of the law have been met through the sacrifice of Jesus. And which law is that? Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That was satisfied. Now when God is in Abraham's shoes, and he is the one making the sacrifice, there is no one to take the place of his son. There is no substitute for the Son of God who can take his place. And God shows his integrity in not backing down from his own law. He pays the full price. He sacrifices everything, meeting all the requirements of the law in Jesus, the Lamb of God. We are loosed from our bonds and set free. That is a picture of Jesus as the substitutionary sacrifice. Well, let's fast forward about 600 years to 1440 BC to the second picture of Jesus as lamb, and that is the scapegoat. If you have your Bibles ready, turn to Leviticus 16. Uh, this is where God is prescribing various ceremonial laws for the people of Israel. And, after their, and it happens after their exodus from Egypt when they are in the desert. And Leviticus 16 uh, is where God gives instruction for the Day of Atonement, which was to be a lasting ordinance performed once a year to take away all the sins of the whole nation. <clears throat> God began his instruction by describing how Aaron, as high priest, was to go through a bunch of processes to prepare for this. So let's uh, start at Leviticus 16. At verse 6. And I'll read uh, 6 to 10 and then 20 to 22. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats one lot for the Lord, and the other for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall present 
the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat, as a sin offering. And it shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the desert as a scapegoat. Then verse 20. And when he has made an end of the atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is ready for the task. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Here we have a picture of what God does with our sin when he reconciles us to himself. Our sins are taken away. Psalm 103.12 says, as, for, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. And Jeremiah 31.34 says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Jesus makes atonement for our sins and removes them from us and takes them away. God does not associate us with our sins anymore. So when we read John 1.29, it makes a little more sense. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is our scapegoat. All our sin is conferred upon him, and he takes it away from us, as far as the east is from the west, never to be seen again. Hallelujah. <laughs> now let's look at the Passover lamb. We'll move back probably in time just a few months to Israel's last day in Egypt, just before their time in the desert. The plagues had all run their course except one. This was the night of the plague of the angel of death who came to kill all the firstborn in Egypt. Not even the Israelites were exempt from this plague. But again, the Lord provides. So let's look at Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 3, 5 to 7, 12 and 13. Exodus 12. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. Eat it. Then verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. 
The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Two things strike me about this passage. One, that the lamb should be without defect, as Jesus was. And two, that the blood of that lamb saves from death. The Israelites were saved because they were under the blood of that lamb. None in Israel died that night. The lamb was put to death that the people might live. They trusted God that the blood of the lamb would deliver them from death, as he said it would. The apostle Peter pointed back to that when he wrote these words. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without defect. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. It is the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, which sets us free from death. Hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) In looking at these three Old Testament pictures of Jesus as the Lamb of God, we see that in the substitutionary sacrifice, the debt is paid. In the scapegoat, our sin is taken away. And in the Passover lamb, we are freed from death when we trust the blood of the lamb. Now let's go back to this morning's scripture reading in Isaiah and see how this was all foretold by the prophet 700 years before he came. Every one of these pictures that we looked at is found in Isaiah 53. I won't read it all. I'll just read two sections here. Verses 4 to 7 and then verses 10 to 12. Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we, we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. There's the substitution. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's the scapegoat. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. There's the Passover lamb. In verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. 
By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, and this is where we see that the Lamb becomes the Savior. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his life to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes transgression, sorry, makes intercession for the transgressors. Wow. So now we have seen the Lamb become the Savior. How? By pouring his life out unto death. It was in rising from that death that Jesus showed his power over death. In becoming weak, like the Lamb, he revealed his power as the Savior of the world. If Jesus had resisted death in any way, he would have revealed an unwillingness to die for us. If he had displayed any show of force in the battle against Satan and the powers of darkness, he would have become like them in doing battle on their terms. In laying down his life without resisting, Jesus fulfilled the law of love and left no toehold for Satan to make any claims against him. He allowed death to do its worst until it could do no more. So that when he rose from death, death was utterly defeated. Satan was left powerless because sin and death could no longer touch Jesus. The powerless lamb became the powerful savior of all who believe. After Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not only was it inherent authority that he received because he's the Son of God, but it was earned authority because he laid down his very life for the world. The crucifixion and death of Jesus shows us that he is the Lamb of God, and his resurrection from the dead shows us that he is the Savior of the world. This lamb was sent into the world so that God could have peace with us. He laid down his life for you. The sin debt is paid. Your sins are removed. And you have been freed from eternal destruction. If you trust in his blood. As the blood of the lamb been applied to the door of your heart. Jesus said in John chapter 3, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only 
Son of God. If we don't believe these words, we make God a liar. If we believe these words, we put our faith, we will put our faith in the blood of Jesus and be saved. If you have not yet trusted Jesus with your life, I urge you today, because of all that Jesus has done on your behalf, he paid the debt, he removed your sin, and he freed you from death. Consider his command, repent and believe the gospel. Is this lamb your savior today? And if not, will you turn to him and be saved? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that Jesus is both the Lamb of God and the Savior of the world. We thank you that you visited us in the person of Jesus and that he spared nothing in laying down his life for us. You said that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just and that you will forgive us our sins. Father, if there is just one person here this morning who needs to confess their sin and make peace with you, we ask you to help him or her overcome the resistance and make that decision today. For that is why you came. We thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross that reconciled us to you. We thank you for Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God and the Savior of all who believe. Amen. We'd like to uh, complete the story and sing, The King is Coming. He's going to come again, and we'll be found in him. Thank you. 